Welcome to season two of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. All right. So in this episode, we get to speak again to Jennifer um, in Los Angeles, even closer now to uh, the graduation date uh, for medical school, done with all of the uh, classes and everything. So minutes away from me being able to say, well, actually, I'm hoping that the next time we talk, I get to say we are now speaking to Dr. Jennifer versus, you know, just Jennifer. But anyways, I've been waiting for that moment for a very long time. So don't steal that from me. The question that I have for you before we get started, this season and this interview has three questions like before. They're different questions. But um, before we even go there, I want to know, do you, what do you remember from the last time we spoke? If you had to share two things that you remember from the last time we talked, what are the two highlights from last time? Um, I think the two highlights that we talked about last time uh, were kind of how uh, things were transitioning um, from being in, in medical school and actually being able to take care of, of patients in person. And then um, at that time, not really knowing what it was going to be like in terms of my last rotation and how I was going to uh, be communicating with patients, if at all. And then also just um, surrounding uh, how we could take better care of each other, uh, of ourselves and of each other um, during like these difficult times and not just specifically related to, um, you know, the COVID um, specific type of regulations and things like that. Actually, I also remember, I think one of the last things that we talked about in the interview, which is, um, you know, I had asked like in the future, that sort of like gratitude question, like what are we going to be grateful for? And uh, you had said, you know, something like uh, a really improved and efficient, you know, public health care, you know, program. And, and then I followed up and said, well, how are we going to do that? And you said, well, I think I'm going to have to become an advocate as well as, you know, someone in the medical profession that you were going to have to do more than just provide the service of medicine, but also we're going to have to be vocal and advocate for different medical policies that were going to then improve your job um, success and also patients' success um, in, in staying in, and getting healthy. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, um, did you see recently that over the last weekend um, and maybe four days, we've had across the country these protests um, from folks who are getting very tired and upset and maybe the COVID-19 sort of um, like very intense, um, drastic, negative and fatal effects haven't quite hit them or their community yet. So we have a bunch of individuals who are um, from a more conservative political party who are saying, you know, I want to be able to do what I want to do with my body. The state shouldn't tell me I have to shelter in place and stay home. I want to go to work. I need to go to work. And many of um, these protests also involved people Um, blocking access to hospitals, literally setting up all of their cars and their bodies in front of a hospital, putting themselves, potential people who are going to the hospital and the people working and patients in the hospital in danger. And so because this was happening, um, yesterday, we started to see nurses 
outside of their hospitals, standing in the way with their masks on in their scrubs, standing in the streets, preventing these cars and these protesters from blocking access to the hospitals. So now we have no longer just doctors and nurses providing health care. They're also putting their bodies on the line in a different way to continue to allow access to them um, in the face of, of um, you know, folks wanting to protest and, and voice their opinions. Did you see that? And what did you think about that? Yeah, um, I saw I, I saw that. And I think the first uh, thing that I like, I had heard about the protest. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first big image that I saw that uh, was on social media was that of a of a woman uh holding up a sign that says my body my choice with a mask um Mm -hmm. x'd out and ironically has a bandana around her neck um Mm -hmm. (laughs) just in case you know um (laughs) but um (laughs) so it was it it was shocking to me because first I wasn't sure if if the post was as the person who posted it was supporting it but it ended up being the opposite that the person was not supporting it and was upset about it Mm -hmm. It was like a, a nurse, a nursing page. Um, and then that's kind of when I started to read a little bit more about it. And I, I thought it was uh, absolutely, it was, it's just kind of reminds me of those moments where we were talking about last time where you kind of just have to laugh because you're just like, yeah. Cause you're like, so uncomfortable. It's so yeah. upsetting. Yes. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, what? And then, and then on top of that, like the whole, my body, my choice, and then just thinking about um, the fact that these are mostly conservative people who are now deciding to use a, um, you know, what's been known for like a health reproductive rights um, yes. type of, you know, protest. Mm-hmm. Um, now they are using it for something that's supposed to like protect lives. So again, it's kind of like in the sense of, kind of their perspective what you're mentioning like that conservative view there that maybe their communities haven't been affected as much um just kind of thinking how they like to twist words to kind of fit what they need um and this yeah and this morning i i actually uh, joined in on a talk uh, with the harvard diversity um like community they're having like a lot of very interesting talks they had one today about um health disparities and COVID 19 Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very interesting because um, you mentioning about how they're blocking access, uh, you know, to the hospitals. And then there's already people in the country who are in areas where they can't even access um, healthcare mm-hmm. that's like readily available to them. Um, mm-hmm. So th- then it kind of makes me think about that too, like um, like beyond these people blocking that there's already like disparities in our country where people can't access this even if they wanted to and even if the rest of their community isn't necessarily protesting against this like stay at home orders Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean here's here's what i think is um is really fascinating like on the one hand, like you're saying, there is um, a familiar use of phrase and wording that has been typically about something else, but they feel it the same way now for them, right? So like, you know, pro-choice and, and access to, um, you know, a- abortions and being able for women to decide for themselves how and what they want to do with their bodies um, has used that phrase, my body, my choice, right? Um, And we've even seen political campaigns, mostly in the 90s, 
in trying to sort of, you know, make that very um, explicit, there were these posters Interestingly enough, I used to have these in my classroom um, and I got in trouble uh, and it was about choice. And it was like, it was a poster of a young woman who had like spiky hair and it was like purple and um, she had body piercings all over her um, face in particular and different parts of her body. Mm-hmm. And it said, and she had tattoos and it said, my body, my choice. Right. And it was a poster about reproductive rights and reproductive justice work. Mm -hmm. But it was trying to say, if you are okay with someone coloring their hair, um, body piercings, tattoos, it's the same as being able to say like, okay, so you're right if your child gets a tattoo and body piercing, but not if they have an abortion, it is still their body. And they still should have the, you know, ability to say what happens to it. And so, you know, that, and and I got in trouble because another teacher like told the principal that I had this poster up and they were offended by it. So I got written up. I didn't have tenure at the time. So I didn't have job security and they could have fired me for anything without telling me what they were firing me for. So um, I got called into the principal's office and she said, you have to take that poster down. And I said, what about first amendment rights? And she said, you don't have them. So there was like this whole thing going on. But today we have people saying my body, my choice when we're telling them to shelter in place and stay at home. And yet here's the thing. When people are on the side of wanting to advocate for people being released, uh, released from prison, right? If you believe in um, abolition and that people shouldn't be incarcerated and in prison, if those same people are then saying, you know what, Trump and his whole family and all these conservatives, we should lock them up. That's the irony. If you believe in abolition, then that, that doesn't mean that it's good for anyone. Yeah. And, and early on when Trump was doing a lot of really severe, intense and life-threatening decisions around immigration and migration, I would start to see these posters that were like, deport Trump. And it was like, yes, but if we don't believe that people should be deported, then would we want to then say deport Trump, right? So you see what I'm getting at, which is that if you have a particular value, you have to have that value all the way, maybe. So if these folks want to be able to do things with their body, should we really say, no, you can't? Hmm. That's a question, right? Like if you believe that people should be able to have, you know, control that my body, my choice, regardless what the issue is, um, does this count now? Yeah, I mean, that that definitely brings up a very interesting perspective. Um, But I I feel like it still goes both ways. Like, I mean, I feel like, Sure, you have the right. I, I might may think it's ridiculous, I, and I do think it's ridiculous um, that you know you're protesting for because you feel that like you're okay and that you're protected, but you're not thinking about you know the rest of the members in your community who might be vulnerable to this. Um, I think it's ridiculous, but you have. I guess you have the right to protest that, right? I mean, I. I can't say that you don't have the right to protest that, but at the same time, you shouldn't be, I mean, that like, I feel that sometimes people make that argument, like, oh, when, you know, there's been like, like protests, like, oh, they, they're like, oh, you're like, um, you know, not making X, Y, and Z possible. Well, now you're like interfering with other people's lives because you're trying to block people from getting their healthcare. Like, fine, maybe you want to protest somewhere else, somewhere where you're not necessarily, um, 
impeding on those people who do need that care. Um, I mean, but we, we, we have people who protest in front of um, clinics and hospitals and institutions mm-hmm. that provide abortions. Yeah, definitely. And, and they are also trying to block. They can't legally block it, but they use their bodies. They use signs. They use their voice. They yeah. use sound. And they use these horrific visuals mm-hmm. to, to block people's mental uh, and emotional welfare um, and to deter them from doing that. And we're just doing it again. But instead of access to an abortion, it's access to living. I mean, it's so ironic. Mm-hmm. It's, so, um, it's so challenging. And, and I think for me, I'm challenged by the, uh, the idea of you can't just have a value that only, only applies in one situation. It has to be a value all the way. If you believe in freedom, it's freedom all the way, right? So if you're saying yeah. liberate Michigan, so... Don't you want then the hospitals to be free? Because liberate, you know, you want to liberate, you want to take away burdens, you want to take away walls, you want to give people the ability to do what they want to do with their body. What if I want my body to be alive? And you are in the way of me being able to stay alive. So, I mean, it's just, it's a really hard time. And you going in and being in the medical profession, what if you tell a patient to do something, maybe change their lives, start exercising, you know, quit smoking, and they don't do it because they have the ability to do whatever they want with their body. What have you experienced that already in where like you, you're giving someone the medicine, the advice, the prescription, the thing they have to do. And it's not that they don't have access to it. That's that they make the choice not to. What, what have you thought about that? Or or what have you confronted in that? Yeah. So I, I mean, definitely in, in primary care, it's, often like a very prevalent thing it's also very prevalent within like the latino community um to you know just not like follow medication adherence and like you said sometimes it's it's not necessarily because they don't have access and a lot of the times it is that um yes but yeah i mean there there's a, a lot of difficulty in regards to um how we approach and it can be very frustrating I mean physicians definitely have conversations like oh my gosh this patient I you know they come they want my help and they want to get better but yet also they're not taking their medications Mm -hmm. um so I mean I, I feel like that's kind of for me the beauty of like having that longitudinal relationship hoping that you can build a relationship strong enough where your patients trust you and trust that the medications that you are giving them like are going to help them um, and also work with them kind of I think I kind of talked about this last time kind of like meeting somewhere where they're at right maybe mm-hmm. maybe at this visit they kind of they say, oh, like, I just want to try, like, healthier lifestyle. And you kind of know, okay, well, your diabetes is kind of super advanced. You're, you know, at this point, doing diet and exercise might lower it, like, 1%. But that's not really – it's still at a level where you're going to have all these, like, end organ damage type of complications. And so you kind of meet them there and say, okay, fine, let's try exercise. But here's this, here are the medications for you to have at home for you to like, we could talk about the side effects. You can like read about it at home at your next visit. We could talk about that. Um, So I feel like it's step-by-step process. Some day, like sometimes it's, it's, it's still frustrating. And sometimes you kind of, you know, I've seen doctors where they're like, Oh, you know, I've, I've known this patient for 10 years. And so I'm going to go in there and, you know, I tried the nice guy method. So <laughs> it's not going to be a nice guy method. 
<laughs> and then yeah. as a medical student, you're just like, I'm, I'm a nice guy, you know, you're, you're still kind of at that where, oh, I feel like so hopeful. I can change the world um, by being kind. But, but I learned like from different positions that like over time, you, when you build these relationships with your patients, you kind of have to be, um, have different approaches that, to how you work with that. Um, but it is but, frustrating. I mean, but, but you just, I think you just hit on, on the reason why so many things are happening right now. So a while back uh, in my current work, um, we came across uh, an individual who made a comment. And now I just think about this comment all the time. So um, his name is Mervyn. Uh, and uh, he had this phrase where he said, it was, the context is it was a conversation about like working together across different organizations. And he said at the time that um, work moves at the speed of trust. Things move at the speed of trust, meaning that if there is more trust, things can move quickly. If there's less trust, things don't move very fast at all. And so when we're talking about us as a country needing to move together on a particular way of living our lives as temporary as we can until we are all able to all be able to move freely with our bodies because it's safe to, that we don't trust each other. Like this has been a series of years where this particular past uh, presidential election uh, was definitely speaking to trust people who didn't support and vote for Hillary, even though they were Democrats or had voted uh, in the Democratic Party, didn't trust her, didn't trust the Clintons, and so didn't vote at all or voted for Trump. Um, people voted for Trump because they don't trust the established uh, politicians. You know, oh, you're a career politician. This is all you know. I don't trust you, right? So, like, trust. Mm-hmm. Um, has been so central to us having conversations with people, to um, hearing one another, and that lack of trust. I don't even want to hear you. I don't even want to talk to you. I don't want you in my life because I do not trust you, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is this is what's super important in, in the medical profession. If you don't trust your doctor, whether it's because they're super young, uh, super young looking, um, they don't have a lot of experience. Like if you're looking for a doctor and you have a very particular kind of um, medical issue going on, you do your research, right? You want the doctor who maybe has the most experience with that mm-hmm. because it's in an effort to trust them, right? Yeah. Um, or how much the doctor tells you or doesn't tell you. Um, you know, like that doctor told me nothing. I don't trust them. Right. Like trust is so important in us to be able to help one another and to heal. Um, how are you, how are you right now building trust with the patients that you work with and, and what's your plan as you are having your own, you know, patients, what, how, how do you build trust, especially with a mask on? Yeah, so I mean, I still haven't um, really like worked out with with patients, you know, during COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there have been instances where I've had to wear masks, and um, yeah, I mean, it's hard because like you don't see the friendly smile, and mm-hmm. so you kind of like I I remember I'm like remembering a, a patient in particular when I was um, doing my sub internship um, was a patient who came, was coming in uh, with uh, for alcohol withdrawal. Um, she was very young. 
Um, and, and I mean, like I felt for her, I could tell like, and she had the flu, she was flu positive. So that's why I had to wear a mask. Um, so I felt for her she, when I would walk in the room, she just did not seem like she wanted to talk to anybody. She was like clearly tre- like mm-hmm. tremulous, you know, having alcohol withdrawals. Um, so, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, how are you feeling? Like what's bothering you the most today? Like, what can I, like, what can I do for you today? Like, I know that you know, she was going through withdrawal. So really like most of um, her care was really like the nurses kind of um, checking in on her every hour, um, seeing how her symptoms are doing, giving her medications if if she needed them to help to assist her with the process of withdrawal. Um, and then little by little every day, like we would talk a little bit more. Um, and, and I would mm-hmm. say, oh, you know, like, where are you from? Like, uh, I, oh, I, like she had a teddy bear one day. Oh, I noticed you had a teddy bear. Who brought you a teddy bear? Um, and then she said, oh, you know, my friends. Oh, okay. Like, oh, like, where are your friends from? How do you know them? Um, you know, do you have any family that comes visit you? Um, and then learning more about like her family and how she's kind of estranged from her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then on the last day, finally, she kind of just talked to me about like what she does for a living and you know, kind of having like positive, like outcomes on like, the reason that she was in LA, um, and like her aspirations and dreams and how her friends have been so supportive of her, but not her dad. And it's kind of just like bouncing off of that kind of like, just little by little, just, you know, like learning a little bit more about your patients. And I think, um, you know, it's not always that easy, because there are some patients who are just like, who the F are you? Why are you here? Yes. (laughs) You know, like I've had a patient, so I'm like trying to talk to and they're just like, uh-huh okay I'm just not in the mood to talk right now and I'm like oh okay I'm like well I'm sorry that I bothered you um you know anything that I can get for you before I go an extra pillow some ice water and also making sure that if I ask something like that that they weren't like um NPO which is like that they can't eat because then they get because mm. I've done that and then they're like well, I can't eat, so and I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry that I even asked that because now I'm <laughs> you, now you're thinking about food when, <laughs> when yes. you can't have anything. Yes. So that mm-hmm. type of thing will break, you know, their trust. Like, wow, you came into my room and you didn't even know that I can't eat. Um, so- oh yeah, oh yeah. There's something to that. I'll just tell you when when I go in for uh, different things, it it's so clear that the doctor or the nurse did or didn't actually read the file. Mm-hmm. Like everything is in there. Like read the freaking file. Don't come <laughs> in and ask me something where I'm constantly repeating myself. Like I, I tell people all the time and I have these like templates of forms with medications. Mm-hmm. So like I go in with a document that's color coded yeah. for all my medications. <laughs> it's color coded for what I'm allergic to is in red. Uh, in white is what I most recently have, but I don't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then in, in like an orange is what I'm currently taking right now. And I put... Um, how many milligrams, how often I have to take it and, you know, when it was prescribed and by whom. And so, and then on the back side, it says all the medical procedures I've ever had and when I had them, because these are the things that you get asked all the time. And if you have to go in a lot to see a doctor, it's exhausting or whoever's with you, Mm -hmm. who's like helping you with your care is like, okay, so here it is. This is what they take. And this is what it is. And doctors treat you totally different nurses treat you totally different because you just made their life a little bit easier. But, but I mean, but then when you don't look at it, like if I put in this extra work (laughs) and then you, you ask me what medications I'm on, I gave you that piece of paper. Come on, we can do this together. So um, there is something about that, but, but here's the thing. 
What you're talking about in terms of these conversations, reading a file, looking something up, that requires time. Mm-hmm. Do you have that much time? Are you encouraged in medical school to spend that much time with each patient? I mean, it's all very variable. I mean, they tell us as a medical student, you have like time to do these things. Um, and so, but it all depends on you, on what you want to do. I had, you know, during my medicine um, rotation in third year, I had classmates who were like, by 6 a.m., they're already like templating their, their notes for the day. And that way, after we were done rounding on our patients, they basically like just filled in the blanks or any changes that were made to the plan. And then they were like, by two o'clock out versus me who I was very like I was very anxious and in the morning I would get there and I was like I really need all this extra time to like look at all the vital signs and and then go talk to my patient and then I never knew if my patient was going to be one of those chatty patients or not because Mm -hmm. for me I it's I still find it good to know what we're called by the way (laughs) it's for those of you listening if that's you that's what we're called it's quote the chatty patient (laughs) got it okay what's the opposite what's the opposite name for the non-chatty patient I don't know the patient I don't think I have a name it's just like (laughs) they gave me nothing (laughs) okay so what kind of patient are you are you the chatty patient or the I gave them nothing patient (laughs) Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so then, so I'm like, okay, I don't know, like, am I going to hit it off with this patient? They're going to want to tell me like their whole life story. And so <laughs> then I'm, then I'm going to, is that time. relevant? Is that relevant? Do so, patients need to tell you their life story? Sometimes it's relevant. If like, there's important pieces of information that helps me figure out, you know, their situation, it could be. Um, but it's not always ideal in like yeah. where like where I'm going to be rounding in 10 minutes. And then you're trying to tell me these things right now. And I'm like, Oh, I'll come back later. Um, <laughs> so we um, started off talking about your birth and now it's you're two years old. When I come back, we're going to start at your fifth birthday party. Okay. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, there, there was that bounce. And then, so I wouldn't end up leaving until like 3, 30, 4. And even then at 4 is usually when new admissions come in. So then I would always be the one that would have to do new admissions because I was still there working on my notes and yes. trying to be – and then, and then after that, still me like being like, okay, before – I'm leaving now, but I'm going to go check in on my patients. So then it was like – going to check in on like hey how are you doing hoping that they were gonna be like oh okay and i'm like all right see you tomorrow morning like at 6 30 i'm gonna knock on your door and okay you're gonna me, but <laughs> okay let me let me forewarn you about what's going what i foreshadow is going to happen in your uh, medical profession so you're going to be what we call as patients quote one of the good ones and so what that means is that when you, when you get to the doctor that's one of the good ones, the ones who checks in on you, who goes the extra mile, who lets you blabber on and nicely cuts you off and tells you that it's time for them to go, you are really sad when you are not able to see them, when you move, when they leave because they have a life as well uh, and they are on vacation or they have to leave for a minute for something. And we really are sad when you retire. And so I have to forewarn you that, and I'm not trying to tell you to be one of the bad ones because that's the other name that we have. Don't go to them, they're bad. <laughs> the bad ones. But 
Yes, but it's you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to balance. How am I there for my patients, and how am I also modeling for my patients being there for yourselves? You know, like because that's the difficulty with quote the good ones. There's not that many of you in the sea, and so and so we're like, no, you can't ever not be there for me because you're one of the good ones. So that's that's what happens. Um, let let me get into one of these questions here. This, this season is about consumption and development. So what I want to know is, first of all, consumption is like the use of resources, buying or eating something. So like, um, what were you eating? What were you listening to? Um, it could also be like consumption of information, which clearly you were in medical school. So consuming a lot of new information, new ideas, um, and uh, things like that. But then it turns out the opposite of consumption is development. So development being what you build up, what you grow, what you improve gradually. So what I want to know is um, before the pandemic and now, has anything changed? What were you consuming before and what do you consume now? What were you developing before and what are you developing now? Yeah, so I think that in terms of consumption, um, I mean, the the information is is just kind of different in the sense of um, now that I'm done with school, it's not like I'm tailoring my learning to, um, you know, a specific condition or, mm-hmm. or whatever field that I'm currently rotating through. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like right now I'm, I'm, even though for the past week ish, I kind of tried to back away from the, like all the information about COVID mm-hmm. um, because it was just um, becoming uh, very overwhelming for me. And yeah. um, as you know, and I've recently announced that I'm pregnant. And so it's been very, it, it's added like an additional stressful factor for me mm-hmm. um, to be reading and especially like getting information from like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, like it's just, how little they know about, you know, the, the, the effects on pregnant women. Uh, and so, um, this week I, like on top of trying to be an adult now, um, I've also, <laughs> I also like, I, I was very, um, interested in learning more about the, the health disparities in COVID. And so that's what today, like I had, there was that talk um, from Harvard. And as soon as I learned about it, and I know there's like a cap on zoom of like number of people. So I signed up for it right away. Um, and I was very grateful to be able to, you know, join in and, and listen to various experts around the country um, who, you know, have already have already before COVID worked um, with patients um, and their communities in regards to health disparities, but now how, um, you know, how COVID, like people thought, you know, somebody like said, you know, people thought COVID was going to be like the equalizer, right? Everybody is going to be affected the same way. Um, And yet it hasn't Mm -hmm. been that way. It's actually um, shown us more about um, these disparities and how how much uh, it's affecting communities uh, because of, you know, predisposing factors that are already present in uh, minority mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's in terms of consumption, kind of uh, learning more in but, that regard. Yeah. But were you, were you, is that different? Like before COVID-19, were you uh, consuming information that was about um, health disparities um, that was already about um, folks who, who might become pregnant or pregnancy? Um, were you consuming information about pandemics <laughs> before or no? 
I mean, like other than the like random one or two lectures that we had on epidemiology in medical school, mm-hmm. not not really and not necessarily in depth looking at um, information about like pandemics and and women who are pregnant. I mean, I'm very interested in women's health, so I I do actively like you know read and learn about women's health and pregnancy, but um, not specifically related to pandemics and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. necessarily about like um, how you know they're more they're considered more susceptible um, because they're like slightly more immunocompromised than they would be if they weren't pregnant um, and, so, and, yeah. and so if you if this is new um, mm-hmm. because being being pregnant and with child right now is also new to you right there's so many new things mm-hmm. um, but what's happening what I've noticed um, in the conversation about COVID-19 uh, is that what was information and news and important to know like a month ago has changed, right? So like early on, there was a lot of discussion about how if you had asthma, because so much of the, of the, of the disease or virus was going and attaching to the lungs, mm-hmm. there was a thought that if you were already sort of like pulmonary compromised in some way, like asthma, that mm-hmm. this would maybe affect you even more. And recently they've, you know, said, well, that might not necessarily be the case because we're actually not seeing as many asthmatic or asthma patients right now. I think personally it's because all those folks with asthma are staying home Mm -hmm. and protecting themselves. But nevertheless, there's reports that it's, we're not seeing a lot of patients with asthma coming in. We're actually seeing a lot of patients who are, um, you know, heavier, um, who have more body mass around their lungs and Mm -hmm. their heart that are actually, um, we're seeing more of those patients coming in. And for me, I'm like, yeah, but is that because that's the health need? Or is that because we didn't tell people if you're, if you're heavier, if you have a bigger body, you're in more danger, right? Like, so there's this weird balance of like, are we seeing more people in, um, in the hospitals because of us not warning those folks or those mm-hmm. communities enough? Or are we seeing more folks because they are more affected? So like also when we're looking at like a higher predisposition um, of people in the African-American community, not only getting COVID, but then dying, mm-hmm. like you're saying, there are these historic, you know, um, health and general welfare disparities mm-hmm. that can make sense for that. Also, let's look at who are the service providers who are the quote essential workers Mm -hmm. still working Mm -hmm. right now because they have to, because that is their basic means of income and they're not wanting to lose their houses and and lose food uh, in the kitchen, right? And that will also lead to predominantly black and brown folks. And so I'm just, I'm frustrated right now between where the information is really coming from. Um, And is it the prevention or is it you know, because the medical profession, you can give me medicine, you can tell me to exercise, but I've never had a doctor tell me, um, not yet at least, you should change your job. You know, you should, you should change your job. You should have a different job. Um, you should change where you live um, and you should change your political views and uh, you should change your taste in food. Like these things that feel very like, is that really going to help my life? Is that really going to help my health? If I like change these things that maybe I I can't do, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to get at is things are constantly changing and I don't know how helpful some of the information is. And especially right now, 
being pregnant and reading about all these things affecting women who are pregnant right now, mm-hmm. it feels very, very scary. How are you, how are you processing this information? Um, I mean, I just try to take it day by day and kind of, you know, like I said, I try to kind of back away from reading it, but some, some days it's just like unavoidable. Like I get emails daily from, from that, the American College of Objectives and Gynecology. So then like whenever I see something in the email subject like Corona and I'm just like, I'm not going to click it. I'm not going to click it, but of course I do click it. So, <laughs> um, and read about it. So I mean, like for me, it's it's kind of like what you're mentioning, like about how maybe the people who are asthmatic just aren't really, you know, going out into like because they kind of are afraid of, mm-hmm. you know, what the repercussions have could be um, b- based on rec- like recommendations that have been given. Um, so in that regard, I mean, at first they weren't really mentioning like pregnant women either when. I have not heard anything about pregnant women, but you're right. Every woman who is pregnant because you're now creating somebody else's immune system, Mm -hmm. um, like weird things happen with women who then have children. Like I've had friends who've also had like long-term chronic immune system issues. Mm -hmm. And then after pregnancy, that's not really there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like, because you got a brand new immune system as well, when you, you know, were pregnant and then had that child, how does that work? That, I, I, I don't think I've heard about that. So really? I, I wouldn't really be able to put my two cents yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to look into this. Yes, because, look into that, uh, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that definitely your body does create, um, like, more, you know, immunoglobulins um, that, can actually cross the placenta to kind of help protect your baby. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of like the types of things that they've been looking into in regards to women who have been affected by COVID and then have like have the babies had like antibodies to COVID, which would mean that the mom, you know, passed antibodies through the placenta to protect the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think there like has been some cases that there have been and then cases where they think that baby got COVID from mom versus did baby get COVID after they were born right. and because they came in contact with mom. Um, so, and then all of that, it's because of like this short timeline, it's like hard to differentiate that data um, in regards to like what exactly right. is happening. And then it's such a limited pool of data mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that it's not completely reliable. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, and, and then also when women are breastfeeding, they also create these antibodies for the baby um, because the baby's immune system doesn't really like start working until kind of like, it doesn't really start fully developing six until they're like six months. And then once they're one year, one year old is kind of like when they start to become a little bit more um, independent in regards to their um, own immune Wait a minute. So does that mean that also right now newborns, are incredibly vulnerable to COVID? So not that I've heard of, like, not that I've heard that they're particularly more susceptible, but it's definitely like another population that, you know, of, I mean, it's kind of always been that divide, right? When they say like, oh, when you're taking the flu shot, if you yourself are not like necessarily 
prone to being more sick because of flu, um, you're protecting or you're being part of herd immunity for for babies, for mm-hmm. older adults, mm-hmm. for immunocompromised people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like they still fall into that category, but I haven't really heard too many of, of too many cases where babies have you know, passed away or have have had significant complications. Um, I mean, I have read articles where of, of like cases in in New York of moms who have been very sick with COVID um, and who've had to have um, non-elective C-sections prematurely um, Mm. in order to save their own lives um, because of the fact that they thought that maybe because they were pregnant, this was causing them to become more sick. Um, and then the, the yeah. ones that I read, it was like three stories that I read um, all turned out very well. The, the moms recovered and, and were able to go home with their baby and everything was fine. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like from what I read today from the email that I got from ACOG was that, um, yeah, they're, they're like starting to like nationally follow um, women who were affected with COVID while pregnant and kind of seeing like what the effects were, what the effects are going to be long term. Um, for them so we'll see I mean that that data is going to take some time you know to see if there's any long-term effects on the babies but so this is one of those unique moments because it doesn't seem to happen all the time Um, but it's it is what makes I think in in my opinion better doctors are doctors who experience some of the things that their patients uh, are going to go through so that you have that empathy. You also have that, that guidance, that advice, and then also you have that experience, right? So um, you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby in COVID-19 times and you are consuming, like before the pandemic, you were already consuming all this information medically. And right now you're consuming a lot of information that's more heavy in disparity and more heavily in, you know, how is this affecting newborns and, and women who are pregnant? Mm-hmm. What are you developing? Like, so, so what, what, is, what is happening then right now? do you think um, other than developing the life in your body? That's, so, you're, so, so look at you, bragger. You get to say like, um, well, what I did during the pandemic is I developed a child. Um, so, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> I created life. Um, but what, what else do you think you're developing right now um, because of this um, outside situation? Yeah. I mean, I think personal, it's like a, a going to be like a personal growth. I have, a friend um, who I love dearly. I met her um, at our medical school interview um, Mm -hmm. and she is an amazing person. And she is like, even though like we're friends and colleagues, she's like, I see her as a mentor because she's like an amazing advocate already. And like, she's been very involved in different leadership positions and she's actually doing an MPH this year. So unfortunately, um, you know, we're not getting. Wait, what does that mean? What does oh, that uh, mean? MPH is a master's in public health, and so she took a year off to um, to pursue the master's in public health um, rather than like graduate this year. So she's going to be graduating next year. Oh um, wow! Yeah, she wanted more school. Yeah, she wanted more school, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but she like it's along that line. Like she's very interested, like in patient advocacy um, and being very involved leadership wise. So. Um, she 
because of COVID, um, her project that she was working on for her MPH um, had to be switched because she was no longer able to go to the clinic site where she was working. Um, so then they kind of transitioned to her to like the LA de Department of Public Health. And she's been working with like community uh, leaders um, about like surrounding COVID. Um, and so I'm just like, oh man, like that's super cool. And so I'm like, oh, like I, I'm like, okay, I think my next step is to ask her, like, how do I become more involved? Like, how do I do this? How do I step myself out of this, like, comfort zone that I'm in? Um, because right now is a time where I'm like, oh, I could be a leader, like, and slowly do it without having to, like, push myself too much out there into the world because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of forced to stay at home, but I could still take on those roles um, and learn more about how I can help my community. Um, and some of the things like they're working on that they, um, one of the physicians that talked on that, um, on that, uh, like talk that there was earlier with COVID and health disparities, um, she's actually working with one of those doctors that was on the panel. Um, and they were talking a lot about, um, specifically because of LA County, how there's like a large, um, monolingual Spanish speaking population of our patients uh, and talking about how they want to, you know, provide that information. Going back to you talking about, you know, what is the information that's being disseminated? Um, it's not just like what information, but how, right? Um, some of the information that's being put out there is like mostly just in English. Um, and so, and, and it takes sometimes a couple of days to get that translated. Um, and then maybe when it's translated, it's not even to the um, level of understanding that, that some of our patients require. Right. And right. so, um, and not all, and, and if it's in Spanish, not all Spanish is the same, exactly. right? Like phrases and vocabulary that folks might use um, from, you know, El Salvador might be different than Mexico or even Northern Mexico versus Southern Mexico. Like, yeah. you know, we're talking about many different kinds of phrases or words, mm -hmm. but then more importantly too, okay, so it's translated in, in the best, you know, broadest vocabulary um, and uh, literacy level, right? But how are they getting it? Like, you know, is it the newspaper? Is it radio? Um, mm -hmm. Is it online? And so, you know, it, that requires you to know so much about the community that um, it kind of goes back to that trust issue. Mm -hmm. And, and the, uh, the chatty patient, you know, like the more you actually know yeah. about the community that you're serving, the more your service can really serve them, right? Yeah. Um, and so what's also super unique right now about your position is you are not the only person who's pregnant right now in the middle mm -hmm. of a pandemic, mm -hmm. but you are unique in being someone who's pregnant in a pandemic who also has all this information and knowledge, medically speaking, and access to, you know, sort of pioneering or non-public yet information. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your advocacy could also be like very small and insular to f women in particular who are pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could be blogging or writing articles or sharing, you know, information about what you're going through to see if it would help other women who are pregnant right now. Even just hosting times to like hear from them. Like, mm -hmm. what are your questions? What are your questions right now if you're pregnant in the middle of COVID and you can't, you know, reach your doctor right now so easily? Like, what are some pieces of information you could share? Like, yeah. essentially, you have two superpowers. 
you're currently pregnant in the <laughs> pandemic and you are graduating from medical school. Uh, so it's yeah. the baby of knowledge as well that is birthing at this exact <laughs> moment. So twins, you didn't even know you had twins. Yeah, you had no idea. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a very, it's a very interesting time. And I guess my last question for you then mm-hmm. is for anybody who's listening right now, Mm-hmm. or for folks who might be listening in the future, what should people from a medical, let's go from a medical perspective here. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your advice for, in order to stay healthy um, and to stay well right now in all the ways that that means, right? Mind, body, spirit. What should people be consuming right now? What should people be developing right now? Or what should people be staying away from in their consumption or staying away from in their development? Yeah. Um, So I think in terms of consumption, it's kind of like making sure that the resources that you're reading are are, are like reliable. Um, You know, like sometimes it's hard, like even on social media, um, you know, to know, like it's so easy for somebody to make a page and say that they're a doctor and buy scrubs and, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. okay. That just got scary. You could but just, I mean, <laughs> but for the most, like for the most part, like there's like, you know, like you, you can tell when somebody's like more like accredited and like knows things. Um, okay. Cause they will link, they themselves will like link resources because they're obviously like not pulling this out of their butt. They're okay. like, they're getting resources from like what they're reading from like the emails that we're receiving from like whatever community of like physicians that they're part of, right. Whether that be like the OBGYNs or the family practice doctors or the internal medicine doctors, the critical care doctors, et cetera. They're all getting like information from their larger communities uh, and then like sharing that on social media, kind of like you're saying, like blogging and doing that sort of thing. Um, So just like just being aware of like what you are consuming and that it's not just like a random post on Facebook um, that your Thea shared. um, (laughs) But I love what my Thea shares. Okay, got it. All right. What if my Um, Thea wears scrubs? No. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, you know, sometimes. Yes. Yes, don't share those. But in these articles that you're getting, what are what are what's the medical community also right now advising us to consume in terms of like sounds and stories and food? Like what you know, like should we be staying away from something or, or trying to get something? Um I mean I I feel like the main thing is kind of like if you are choosing, you know, to like obviously we all need to go get groceries so when you do go get groceries like it's not a family thing like I know Mm -hmm. like we want to be together but this is like one person should be going to the market like we don't need to expose like various people um making sure that when Mm -hmm. you bring things home you're like disinfecting that because you don't know who's touched it um Mm -hmm. so like in that regard and then the same thing like if you're going to order food from like outside I mean like the thing like the thing that worries me most like I I like I'll say like I ordered um like Jenny's splendid ice cream because I really want where my sister ordered it for me um because I was really like oh that place sounds really good their ice cream flavors sound good and then oh no the cravings the cravings (laughs) have begun so you were craving ice cream I, I mean, I feel like I didn't crave it. I was just kind of like, oh, I saw it uh, like a advertisement for it and I was like, oh, that looks good. So I guess maybe it was a craving. I don't know. I feel like it's not a craving in the traditional sense, but. Not yet. Got yeah, it. Okay. Yet. So um, 
So how did you get the ice cream? It was delivered? It was delivered, yeah. So it was like, I don't know, maybe like Uber Eats or something. Um, and they just kind of delivered it to the doorstep. Um, and then again, like the same thing, like we kind of just disinfected the outside, let it like sit, um, and then kind of like consumed it later. Um, Wait, you let it sit because it was too cold or to give it time? No, just like for the disinfectant to like kind of work. You have to wait? So some, so, so, so you have to like, if you read the instructions, some of them say like, oh, to sanitize, like you can just like wipe it off and it'll be fine. Like to disinfect, like you leave it on for like a certain amount of time and then like you wipe whoa, it off. Whoa, whoa wait a minute, there are particular instructions on each of these dif- disinfecting products on how yeah. to actually, you're blowing like, yeah. my like mind Some of right them now. you have to like wipe it off afterwards too. What? Right? Because like the chemicals on there, but some of them, like for example, I bought like this, the seventh generation one, which is supposed to be like more natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it says like, you don't have to wipe it down like afterwards so I'm what not. if it's like a lysol disinfectant wipe are you supposed I, to wipe it down after i i'm not sure about the lysol disinfectant wipe okay people listening right now <laughs> you have to yes, read the instructions on your cleaning products not all cleaning products are the same Mm-hmm. This yeah. is mind blowing right now. Yeah. Oh my God. I've been doing it wrong this entire time. Should people be disinfecting their masks or the cloth masks? Like how often should you like wash them? It depends on how often you're using them. So it's, if you're using them daily, like maybe every other day, um, if you're not using them every day, then I mean like, it's fine if you do it like once a week um, type of thing. And then like the best way to like wash them it's like either if you want to throw it in the washer but for some people like throwing just like one mask in the washer is obviously not ideal because you're running your water bill up so what i what i did um are you hand washing yeah just like leave them in hot hot soaking water with like any soap and Mm -hmm. just i mean because it's the same idea as your hands right you wash your hands with soap um enough time like that's enough to take away like the germs and bacteria like more so than like alcohol and and, like those sprays and stuff like that i know i heard like some people are like oh like i just like spray disinfectant and i'm like dude no you're breathing that like don't okay don't don't spray (laughs) disinfectant all over your body because that's not going to be helpful got it yeah got it (laughs) um yeah um that and then like some people I know like are starting to like not bring their shoes in after into their yeah. home afterwards. And there's some yeah. people who are, who have already done that without, you know, the COVID, right. um, which is like, like at first it's like, huh? But and then I think about it, like, you know, there's people who like spit on the floor and like that right. kind of thing. If you step on that, you can you kind of bring, drag, bringing it into your home. Um, and then the same thing with like, with pets like they're like some people are like cleaning their pets paws before they come in the house because they also they're also stepping on the floor and you know there was like i think two cases of dogs getting um covid in like china wait um it really yeah in china there was like apparently two dogs that got covid um i don't i have i'm not like maybe like i haven't actively looked into it but i don't know yeah, if yeah, there's yeah. been any cases in in the United States. I know that there was that tiger in New York that tested positive. Um, I mean, so much of this is about the testing. 
Mm-hmm. Like, because if you can test it, then you can see if it is or isn't, but even the yeah. test reliability, like, so, so you talking about like reliability, like developing and consuming things that are reliable and developing your ability to tell and mm-hmm. know if something's reliable. Right. But, mm-hmm. but if the tests themselves are also not completely reliable because they, they have human error and they have testing error, like there's, there's just so much right now mm-hmm. that I also feel like part of what we need to develop is being okay with things being unreliable. You know, like it's, it's kind of a, uh, yeah. a hard moment. Yeah. It's so definitely difficult. Mm-hmm. If, if you were a doctor right now mm-hmm. and, um, and you were your own patient, what would you be telling yourself right now? So you're, you're, you put on your doctor hat or your coat or whatever, and, and you are Dr. Perdomo and you have this patient and her name is Jennifer and it's COVID-19 and she's currently pregnant. What would you tell her? What would you be telling yourself right now? Be doctor and patient. What's your advice? Um, so my advice would be, you know, to that, well, first off, you know, frame with the fact that, you know, there isn't a lot of significant data out there to tell me whether um, if you got sick with COVID, whether, you know, that would cause you to be very sick or if you would just get like a typical cold and be okay. Um, from what we do know that you wouldn't, you wouldn't pass this on to your baby. And then, I mean, depending on where I'd be working, um, kind of give the idea of like what to expect. And for me, because I am due in August, I would be, I would want to give my patient hope, that hope that by August things will be better and that we won't have to worry about all these precautions when she has to give birth. But what is currently going on in most places is that you're only allowed one visitor Um, that visitor is likely not going to be able to leave the hospital if they have anything else to do because otherwise they won't be able to come back. Mm -hmm. Um, You will probably be wearing a mask through your delivery, which will likely make it more difficult um, and probably provide resources to like how, like how to deal with that. I mean, like, it's already difficult to breathe through doing breathing exercises during birth. And on top of that, having to wear a mask is, you know, something that could be stress inducing, especially to women who might already have like anxiety, like anxiety or, you know, other conditions that may predispose them to feel more nervous. Are right now women in labor having to wear like the typical sort of like hospital mask or can you bring in like the, the sort of like cloth masks that t- go over your whole neck mm. feel a little, they give you a little bit more room, so to speak, mm. to breathe. Like can, can pregnant women right now determine and bring in their own version of a mask? That's a good question. I'm not sure if they could bring in their own version of a mask from what I know is that they will be provided with like the surgical type of mask. It's not like the N95 mask, just the yeah. surgical mask, which is less constricting than an N95. Yes. Um, would you, would you give advice to your pregnant patient to um, practice their breathing exercises, wearing the mask at home so that they can get used to it? I would say you can do it if you, if that makes you feel 
more comfortable and like it would help prepare you. Um, but I also don't want it to be something that like consumes them and stresses them um, because I feel like that would be very stressful for me to do um, yeah, for myself personally. Like to be like, all right, uh, I'm going to put my mask on and practice some breathing exercises now. Well, it's, it's why you have breathing exercises, period. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, you um, have breathing exercises. Mask, it, like. Yes, but I mean, it's like a fire drill. You yeah, know? yeah. Like you're, you're preparing for the worst case scenario mm-hmm. and hoping for the best. yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. So I would say like, if you feel that makes you feel comfortable, then I would say go, I wouldn't advise against it is what I'm saying. (laughs) But for me personally. So listen, I hope that you heard everything that you just said. And if you need to re-listen to this episode, (laughs) as you keep getting ready for that August date, please remember what you said. Like, hopefully it's going to be better in August. Here's what we know for now. Things Mm -hmm. are going to be changing. Everything's going to be okay. Things Mm -hmm. are going to be all right. This is going to be a unique experience. This is going to be like the most amazing birth story and life story and doctor story ever. You're just in it, writing it as you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And I also think that an important thing to note is – you know, I was a birth coach to my sister. Um, so I was in, in there and it was already confined. Like, you know, I think it was me, my mom, my other mom, my partner, um, and uh, the other birth coach. So there's like five of us in the room mm-hmm. during labor. And then when it was like, okay, baby is coming. It was only the birth coaches. Um, and the other birth coach didn't want to be there. So it was only me and my sister. Um, and then my mom was there uh, at the bottom, almost looking like an observer of a football game. She had her hands in her pocket. She's like, oh yeah, I see that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so she was just like the announcer of what was happening. And I'm up top with my sister holding her hand as she's like gripping it into the death grip um because her epidural didn't work um so it was like super intense everything she had planned for did not work she's like it's gonna be easy the baby's just like i'm i pregnancy is really easy for me it was not so everything she had planned for was not what happened but we did the breathing because we had practiced the breathing and actually outside of labor when um i think it was last month early in COVID, and i knew i was going to probably have to wear a mask during chemo so i started going for walks with the mask on and i was like oh my god i feel like i'm hyperventilating this is not going to be good Mm -hmm. and do you know what i did i did the breathing exercises Mm -hmm. from when i was my sister's birth coach and i was like i can do this like I can do this. And so mm-hmm. there's something about the muscle memory and yeah. the practice and the getting ready. And, um, and so I, I think it's going to be okay. I think everything's going to be uniquely fine for this moment. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you next time. I'm going to tell you in advance, uh, give you a little preview of what our next conversation uh, will be about. I'm going to ask you to imagine that um, there has been a TV show or a movie or a comic or a book written about you during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm going to ask you, what would the name of that book or TV show be? And what would the commercial or the cover look like so uh i have some ideas if i was writing your show (laughs) or book but um i i'm excited to see what you come up with for yourself yeah
I'll have to get my creative juices going for that one. Yes, yes, <laughs> you can do it. I know they're in there. I know they're still in there. Uh, so thank you. Uh, still just Jennifer. Um, no doctor yet until until it's official uh, for sharing your experience with us. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human. And Jennifer, congratulations on um, on your your upcoming growing family.